Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 105, Special Resurrection Day Easter Edition. Our big Bible question is, why do you look for the living among the dead? So happy Resurrection Day to you, friends, on this day and every day. Let us rejoice and celebrate the single most significant event that has ever happened in all of recorded history, the day death was defeated. I want to give a shout out to the guy, I guess it could be a lady, in the Greensboro High Point, North Carolina episode, uh, area who downloaded 95 episodes of the show yesterday. I don't see who downloads the show, of course, but I do occasionally check the statistics. And when somebody downloads 95 episodes in one day, it sort of jumps out in the stats. And I, I always look where they're from. The thing is, 95 episodes of this show is like well over 50 hours of content. So, brother or sister, I'll be praying for you. I hope you're not uh in the bed or injured or struggling with a virus or anything like that. But anyway, God bless you and welcome on board. Whether you are quarantined in your house or not, or somehow able today together with other believers, nothing, whether we're quarantined or not, nothing, nothing, nothing diminishes the glory and joy of the resurrection of Jesus. I want to make an odd invitation, and I know how weird it sounds, but if you don't have an online church to worship with, allow me to invite you to join the live stream of Valley Baptist Church today. That's the church I pastor. It's in Salinas, California. We broadcast live from our Facebook page at 11 a.m. Pacific. It's very interactive. We've got about 12 of our members lined up tomorrow to share. I'm going to be preaching a short message on the resurrection that's not the same as what we're about to talk about here. All you got to do is go to Facebook and type out the letters VBC Salinas. That's Victor Bravo Charlie Salinas, S-A-L-I-N-A-S, VBC Salinas. You'll find our page. Just give us a like there and jump on in and join us on the live stream. Now, so far, On the Bible Reading Podcast, on almost every episode, we have focused on the Bible passages we read for that day as part of our big Bible question. In most days, we're going to continue in that vein, by and large, but today is an exception. Today, we briefly focus on the glorious resurrection of Jesus. We're still going to read our Bible passages, though, from the Robert Murray McShane Bible Reading Plan, and those passages include Leviticus 16, Psalms 19, Proverbs 30 and 1 Timothy 1. But our focus question comes from Luke 24, 1 through 8, which says, On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices they had prepared. These are the women. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They went in, but did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men stood by them in dazzling clothes. So the women were terrified and bowed down to the ground. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? asked the men. He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, It is necessary that the Son of Man be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise on the third day. And they remembered his words. So, why indeed were these women coming to the tomb to embalm the body of Jesus? Hadn't he told them? the men and the women that followed him, that he would be raised from the dead on the third day? Now, if they believed that, why would they come to the tomb with spices to prepare his body for an eternity in that grave? So in answering that question, I'd like to turn to a book called Easter 
fact or fiction, which I wrote a couple of years ago. It is available on Amazon, and when you buy a copy, you can get out of one hour of purgatory. Okay, that's probably not true, but I do want to read from the chapter uh, that sort of answers this question. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why did they go there to embalm the body of Jesus? So I know it's pretty old school and very dated, but I love the song He's Alive by Don Francisco, and I pretty much listen to it every Easter and other times too. Boy, that old hippie can sing, and every time I hear the song, it makes my eyes moist for some reason. If you aren't familiar, here's some of the lyrics, the first part. I'm not going to sing it, sing it, don't worry. The gates and doors were barred and all the windows fastened down. I spent the night in sleeplessness and rose at every sound, as told from the perspective of Peter. Half in hope of sorrow and half in fear the day would find the soldiers breaking through to drag us all away. And just before the sunrise, I heard something at the wall. The gate began to rattle and a voice began to call. I hurried to the window, looked down into the street, expecting swords and torches and the sound of soldiers' feet. But there was no one there but Mary, so I went down to let her in. John stood there beside me as she told me where she'd been. She said they've moved him in the night, and none of us know where. The stone's been rolled away, and now his body isn't there. We both ran towards the garden, and John ran on ahead. We found the stone in the empty tomb just the way that Mary said. But the winding sheet they wrapped him in was just an empty shell, and how or where they'd taken him was more than I could tell. Oh, something strange had happened there, just what I did not know. John believed a miracle, but I just turned to go. Circumstance and speculation couldn't lift me very high because I'd seen them crucify him. Then I saw him die. Now, in the book that I wrote uh, three years ago, I wrote, I'm getting teary-eyed just reading the lyrics. And I thought it's going to be weird to read that out of the chapter of my book. But dadgummit, just reading the lyrics now, today, April 12th, 2020, I'm getting teary-eyed again and my voice is breaking and getting emotional. So the thing is, the truth that Francisco's song captures so well is the fact that the disciples did not expect Jesus to return from death, even though he had told them multiple times that he would rise again on the third day. They either didn't understand or take him seriously at all, despite the fact that, according to Matthew, he plainly told the disciples at least three times that he would die and be raised up again. In fact, Matthew twenty-seven sixty-three notes that even the chief priests and Pharisees knew that Jesus had said he would rise again, That is why they requested a guard to prevent anybody from rolling the stone away from the tomb. So, of course, since Jesus told them that he would rise again on the third day, the disciples made a field trip to the graveyard that Sunday to wait, right? And watch, you know, it would be amazing. That's something I've really never understood about those guys. I don't know that I would have believed that Jesus would have come back from such a terrible and bloody death as the one represented by his crucifixion. But honestly... I sort of think I would have made the walk over to the cemetery Sunday morning just to see if something might happen. Wouldn't you have at least done that? Especially, you know, you saw him raise people from the dead. You knew he was special. You saw him calm the ocean. You knew he was a big deal. You'd confessed he was the son of God if he told you he was going to rise from the dead, even if you didn't believe it. Uh, It's weird to not go over there. And the fact that None of the disciples of Jesus went to the grave that Sunday morning, 
clearly demonstrates that they were not slack-jawed yokels that were primitive and dumb that would believe anything. They knew death was final just like people in 2020 know that death is final. In fact, due to most deaths occurring in and around homes at that time and not in hospitals, they were probably more exposed to death than most modern people are and thus more confronted regularly by its hostility and finality. C.S. Lewis calls the view that the ancients were dumb, primitive, and uninformed chronological snobbery. While it is true that they didn't have iPhones and they couldn't really call an Uber to get around to places, the fact is that they were actually quite intelligent, not jaded, and fully aware of the finality of death. While the disciples didn't show up at the tomb of Jesus on the third day, the faithful women certainly did show up. Surely they would be waiting with eager joy to see the promised return of their Messiah, right? Actually, the women didn't come to greet a resurrected Jesus, as we said earlier. They came laden with burial spices, wondering who would roll away the tomb door for them. They came to prepare the corpse of Jesus for eons of rotting in a tomb. Even those faithful women didn't believe Jesus would be bodily resurrected. Not only that, but even when Jesus appeared to the disciples in person after the resurrection, the Bible states that some doubted. Now, we might assume that first century people were much more likely to believe that somebody could rise from the dead than we moderns would be, but the evidence shows just how incredulous they were, maybe more incredulous than modern scientifically oriented people, that they had a prompt change of heart about the possibility of resurrection demonstrates and gives some level of proof that something happened to change their mind and take away their doubts. One more bit of evidence, the idea that the disciples and followers of Jesus were not expecting a resurrection. As noted in the scripture quoted at the beginning of this chapter, a follower named Cleopas and his unnamed friend were walking on the Emmaus Road on the first Easter Sunday, Despite the fact that Jesus had been raised from the dead and had already appeared to the women at the tomb, Cleopas and the other disciple were discouraged in arguing. Surely they must have been discouraged because they hadn't heard Jesus was raised from the dead yet, correct? Unfortunately, no. That's not the case. According to Luke 24, Cleopas and friend had indeed been told that the women had seen the resurrected Jesus in the flesh. Why were they discouraged? Because they didn't believe the women. They were so certain of the finality of the death of Jesus that despite multiple statements that he would rise after death, and despite hearing about the women's claims to have seen Jesus, they still didn't believe. This clearly demonstrates that the majority of the disciples and followers of Jesus fully expected him to stay dead, and they didn't have illusions about what death means. And it also demonstrates the high unlikelihood of their being involved in some sort of resurrection scam. Because honestly, if you're making up something like that, maybe you don't look make yourself look like sort of uh, unbelieving idiots that didn't take the word of your master as what it was, the truth. So, why were they looking for the living among the dead? And the answer is, because they didn't believe that Jesus was going to be living. They believed he was dead and was going to stay dead. And the transformation of those skeptics in a moment is one of, I believe, the key philosophical reasons to believe in the historicity or the 
historical truth of Jesus rising from the dead. Clearly, nobody expected it to happen. Clearly, these weren't just dumb, primitive ancients that would believe anything. They understood death just like we did. And when their master showed up and was resurrected, they were as astonished as we would be, if not more so. And it transformed the course of their lives to the point where they were willing to suffer and die happily and joyfully to keep proclaiming the truth that he is risen. And my friends, he is risen indeed. Rejoice and celebrate that truth, which is rational, historical, and philosophically plausible, probable, and a bedrock thing to rest your faith on. Let's go to Leviticus chapter 16. And good news, today is not about bodily fluid or mold. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of two of Aaron's sons when they approached the presence of the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he may not come whenever he wants into the holy place behind the curtain in front of the mercy seat on the ark or else he will die because I appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. Aaron is to enter the most holy place in this way with a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He is to wear a holy linen tunic and linen undergarments are to be on his body. He is to tie a linen sash around him and wrap his head with a linen turban. These are holy garments. He must bathe his body with water before he wears them. He is to take from the Israelite community two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron will present the bull for his sin offering and make atonement for himself and his household. Next, he will take the two goats and place them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. After Aaron casts lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the an uninhabitable place, he is to present the goat chosen by lot for the Lord and sacrifice it as a sin offering. But the goat chosen by lot for an uninhabitable place is to be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement with it by sending it into the wilderness for an uninhabitable place. When Aaron presents the bull for his sin offering and makes atonement for himself and his household, he will slaughter the bull for his sin offering. Then he is to take a firepan of blazing coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and bring them inside the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord so that the cloud of incense covers the mercy seat that is over the testimony, or else he will die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and sprinkle it with his finger against the east side of the mercy seat. Then he will sprinkle some of the blood with his finger before the mercy seat seven times. When he slaughters the male goat for the people's sin offering and brings its blood inside the curtain, he will do the same with its blood as he did with the bull's blood. He is to sprinkle it against the mercy seat and in front of it. He will make atonement for the most holy place in this way for all the sins because of the Israelites' impurities and rebellious acts. He will do the same for the tent of meeting that remains among them because it is surrounded by their impurities. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the most holy place until he leaves after he has made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole assembly of Israel. Then he will go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He is to take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on the horns on all sides of the altar. 
He is to sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it, set it apart from the Israelites' impurities. When he has finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting in the altar, he is to present the live male goat. Aaron will lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the Israelites' iniquities and rebellious acts, all their sins. He is to put them on the goat's head and send it away into the wilderness by the man appointed for the task. The goat will carry all their iniquities into a desolate land, and the man will release it there. Then Aaron is to enter the tent of meeting, take off the linen garments he wore when he entered the most holy place, and leave them there. He will bathe his body with water in a holy place and put on his clothes. Then he must go out and sacrifice his burnt offering and the people's burnt offering. He will make atonement for himself and for the people. He is to burn the fat of the sin offering on the altar. The man who released the goat for an uninhabitable place is to wash his clothes and bathe his body with water. Afterward, he may re-enter the camp. The bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought into the most holy place to make atonement, must be brought outside the camp and their hide, flesh, and waste burned. The one who burns them is to wash his clothes and bathe himself with water. Afterward, he may re-enter the camp. This is to be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you are to practice self-denial and do no work, both the native and the alien who resides among you. Atonement will be made for you on this day to cleanse you, and you will be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of complete rest for you, and you must practice self-denial. It is a permanent statute. The priest who is anointed and ordained to serve as high priest in place of his father will make atonement. He will put on the linen garments, the holy garments, and make atonement for the most holy place. He will make atonement for the tent of meeting and the altar, and will make atonement for the priests and all the people of the assembly. This is to be a permanent statue for you, to make atonement for the Israelites once a year because of all their sins. And all this was done as the Lord commanded Moses. Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the expanse proclaims the work of his hands. Day after day they pour out speech, night after night they communicate knowledge. There is no speech, there are no words, their voice is not heard. Their message has gone out to the whole earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, it is like a bridegroom coming home from his home. It is. It rejoices like an athlete running a course, it rises from one end of the heavens and circles to their other end. Nothing is hidden from its heat. The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is warned by them, and in keeping them there is an abundant reward. Who perceives his unintentional sins? Cleanse me from my hidden faults. Moreover, keep your servant from willful sins. Do not let them rule me. Then I will be blameless and cleansed from blatant rebellion. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Proverbs chapter 30, the words of Agur, son of Jacob, the pronouncement, 
the man's oration to Ithiel, to Ithiel and Eucal. I am more stupid than any other person, and I lack a human's ability to understand. I have not gained wisdom, and I have no knowledge of the Holy One. Who has gone up to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his hands? Who has bound up the waters in a cloak? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name, and what is the name of his son, if you know? Every word of God is pure. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Don't add to his words, or he will rebuke you, and you will be proved a liar. Two things I ask of you, don't deny them to me before I die. Keep falsehood and deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, Who is the Lord? Or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of my God. Don't slander a servant to his master, or he will curse you, and you will become guilty. There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filth. There is a generation, how haughty its eyes and pretentious its looks. There is a generation whose teeth are swords, whose fangs are knives, devouring the oppressed from the land and the needy from among mankind. The leech has two daughters. Give, give. Three things are never satisfied. Four never say enough. Sheol, a childless womb, earth which is never satisfied with water, and fire, which never says enough. As for the eye that ridicules a father and despises obedience to a mother, may ravens of the valley pluck it out and young vultures eat it. Three things are too wondrous for me, for I can't understand. The way of an eagle in the sky, the way of a snake on a rock, the way of a ship at sea, and the way of a man with a young woman. This is the way of an adulteress. She eats and wipes her mouth and says, I've done nothing wrong. The earth trembles under three things. It cannot bear up under four. A servant when he becomes king, a fool when he is stuffed with food, an unloved woman when she marries, and a servant girl when she ousts her queen. Four things on earth are small, yet they are extremely wise. Ants are not as strong people, yet they store up their food in the summer. Hyraxes are not a mighty people, yet they make their homes in the cliff. Locusts have no king, yet all of them march in ranks. A lizard can be caught in your hands, yet it lives in king's palaces. Three things are stately in their stride. Four are stately in their walk. A lion, which is mightiest among beasts, and doesn't retreat before anything. A strutting rooster, a goat, and a king at the head of his army. If you have been foolish by exalting yourself, or if you've been scheming, put your hand over your mouth, for the churning of milk produces butter and twisting a nose draws blood, and stirring up anger produces strife. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true son in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. As I urged you when I went to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may instruct certain people not to teach false doctrine, or to pay attention to myths and endless genealogies. These promote empty speculations rather than God's plan, which operates by faith. Now the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart and a good conscious and sincere faith. Some have departed from these and turned aside to fruitless discussion. They want to be teachers of the law, although they don't understand what they are saying or what they are insisting on. But we know 
that the law is good, provided one uses it legitimately. We know that the law is not meant for a righteous person, but for the lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinful, for the holy and irreverent, for those who kill their fathers and mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral and homosexuals, for slave traders, liars, perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound teaching that conforms to the gospel concerning the glory of the blessed God, which was entrusted to me. I give thanks to Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me, because he considered me faithful, appointing me to the ministry, even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an arrogant man. But I received mercy because I acted out of ignorance and unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. But I receive mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. Now, to the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I am giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the good fight, having faith in a good conscience. Some have rejected these and have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have delivered to Satan, so that they may be taught not to blaspheme. Brothers and sisters, I hope that this word of God builds you up, that hearing the Bible increases your faith, overwhelms your anxiety and fear, and points you to Jesus. I hope that hearing the word builds the faith in you to fight the good fight. Have a blessed day celebrating the resurrection. Don't grieve about what you can't do today. Celebrate what is possible, eternal life, because of what Jesus did almost 2,000 years ago. God bless you and Godspeed.